in their From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Happy Friday, friends. My name is Joseph Backholm. It is my pleasure to be sitting in for Tony today. Glad that you are with us. It is the end of a difficult week for President Biden and his in his legislative agenda, and we're going to talk about that today on the program. A few reminders. First, TonyPerkins.com is the website. You can find this and every program there on demand whenever it is convenient for you. Today on the program, John Cooper from Skillet will share his reflections on the battle for truth in the entertainment space and talk about a new album release that Skillet has this week. You don't want to miss that conversation with a really exciting, interesting, godly guy. In addition, you've seen it, but you may not understand What's causing it? Why are so many shelves empty in the stores? We'll talk about supply chain shortages and when they're going to end with Dr. Dave Bratt of the Liberty University Business School. In addition, we know the global church is diverse, but should churches try to be racially diverse? Is that a biblical goal? That's going to be the conversation we have today with David Clausen in our worldview segment. But the headline for today, the top story, as you've already heard teased, yesterday was a difficult day for President Biden. He paid a visit to Democrats on Capitol Hill amid news that Democrats, Christian Cinema, and Joe Manchin had publicly rebuffed the president's plea to do away with the Senate filibuster in the name of voting rights. Here's his response to some questions he got from the press. First of all, don't ask questions about complicated subjects like, can you get this done? I hope we can get this done. The honest to God answer is, I don't know whether we can get this done. Is this mic on? I guess. Anyway. Also breaking yesterday, the Supreme Court ruled on part of Biden's no jab, no job policy. Lots of big news out of D.C. And here to discuss all the breaking news from Washington is Representative Vicki Hartzler, Congresswoman. Welcome back to Washington Watch. It's great to be here, Joseph. Well, it's good to have you. A couple big topics I want to get to with you. First, let's talk about The failure to end the filibuster. Are you surprised that Schumer went as far as he did when Senators Sinema and Manchin had long said that they wouldn't support doing away with the filibuster? Well, I think the left is so powerful and he is beholden to the radical side of his party that he felt uh, that he had to uh, take it to the brink and, and do everything he can so he can turn around and say to them, hey, I tried. And so he's just laying down a marker that this is uh, what he tried his best. And I'm very grateful for uh, Senator Cinema and Manchin that they held firm. And we may be having some, uh, it looks like we're getting the picture back there a little bit. We may have had a glitch, but such is technology. Now, you you hinted at this a, a little bit. Um, do you think the failure, and let's remind viewers that the filibuster had to be overthrown, gotten rid of the filibuster in the Senate, 
so that they could pass voting rights legislation without the support of any Republicans. That was the, the goal of getting rid of the filibuster, but they failed in doing so. But the, the far left of the party really wanted that. Do you think it helps the Democrats with their base that they tried and failed, or does it hurt them because they tried and failed? Well, I think it helps them with their base, uh, who is very radical and wants to take over our country. But I think it hurts them with the average voter who sees this as an overreach. You know, 65 percent of Americans want more election safeguards. They don't want less. They don't want a federal takeover of their election process that would nullify voter protection laws in 35 states and codify what they did in California. They don't want taxpayer-funded uh, elections, and that's what this would have enabled. So I think uh, they may have helped their base, but they hurt them in the long run, and that's why I believe Republicans are going to take back the House and the Senate because of radical moves like this. And to clarify some of the concerns about that legislation, it would have mandated that states allow same-day registration, which has all sorts of security issues, and forbid them from requiring voter ID when you vote. So those are some of the provisions of this expansive, essentially, federal takeover of local elections and some of the concerns about them. Now that the Senate has is not going to pass this legislation, in part because they couldn't get rid of the filibuster, though they probably didn't have the votes to do it anyway, even uh, even if it had gone to a vote. Is this the end of the road for the election reform, the uh, election takeover legislation? I think so. I mean, they've tried everything they can, pulled every trick out of their bag and, and they fail. And so now they're going to run on this and uh, say, hey, we tried. And they're going to, of course, try to demonize Republicans and, and make it look like we tried to squash uh, voting rights, which in the, the case is really that is not true. There is no discrimination. Everyone has the right to vote. What we did is protect voter election integrity and the rights of states to determine the parameters that they want for voter safeguards. So um, I, I think they will move on to the next topic, but we'll see. And to that point, what do you think is the next topic for President Biden's legislative agenda? Well, I think they're going to come back and continue to try to get Bill back broke, uh, Bill, and they're going to perhaps break that into smaller pieces and try to pass individual uh, pieces of legislation. You know, uh, Senator Manchin had earlier on agreed to certain portions of that bill, and that is still very concerning that they could try to continue to pass uh, some of these 150 new socialist government programs, individually repackage them. So we'll have to see. I'm sure they're going to keep pushing and keep trying to, uh, you know, make their uh, point and try to, uh, going into the election year, try to uh, make Republicans look bad and try to make themselves look good. Well, on the same day that President Biden lost the election takeover bill in the Senate, the Supreme Court uh, overthrew and, and stopped the implementation of the employer mandate with respect to vaccines. Do you think anyone was surprised by the court's decision there? Well, I was very, very grateful. I wasn't surprised, but, you know, crazier things have happened with some uh, outcomes. But to me, it just seems so unconstitutional that the government would try to force its citizens to undergo a medical procedure in order to have a job. 
if that isn't a, a government overreach, I don't know what is. No one should have to choose between following a government mandate to undergo a medical procedure that they are concerned about or give up their livelihood. And I am thankful that the court ruled rightly and said, no, that is not the case. But it was concerning. They said they thought Congress had the authority to do that. And I would say they don't. That's why I've introduced a bill uh, to codify that we cannot and OSHA cannot ever do this again and to make sure Congress goes on the record that we do not support this type of a vaccine mandate for anyone. Now, we've talked about the kind of the one-two punch for the Biden administration yesterday of his election law as well as the loss at the Supreme Court. What's your sense of the president's standing in Congress right now? It's really been a difficult first year for him. Most of his legislative agenda has not passed. Now the Supreme Court has has dealt him several, but in this case, another major blow. What's his standing with Congress? Oh, it's very poor. I mean, it's similar to the uh, American public who view him only 33 percent approval rating. I think even among the Democrat caucus, there's many that see he is weak and he is inept and he's incapable. And I think that will bode well for Republicans this fall in the election and that we will take back both the House and the Senate because the American public have seen this incompetence. They have seen us going from being energy independent to energy dependent again because of his failed policy. They've seen us having a secure border and to going to having an open border with flowing of of drugs and and human trafficking coming across and endangering our security. They've seen us be weakened on the world stage with a debacle in Afghanistan. And they are very, very concerned and ready for a change. They see inflation going through the roof. And they're making uh, less money in real dollars than they were a few years ago, yet working harder. So as Republicans and uh, legislation that I have proposed will take us back and fit us back on the right track. And I think we can't get there soon enough. Do you see President Biden's challenges in Congress to be a function of some political failure on his part in negotiations? Or did he simply... Over, overestimate what he was capable of and what the American public were willing to accept. Well, that was part of it. He's been acting like he had a mandate that the American public wanted all these radical new programs and they wanted a wide open border and they wanted uh, less support for law enforcement. And uh, I think he was wrong. I mean, there was not a mandate uh, we has only a majority in the House by, by four individuals. It's a 50-50 split in the Senate. So the American public just wanted, I think, just some uh, calm, and, but they didn't want these radical policies. So he overreached. But then in the way that he has carried it out, it just showed an incompetence, an ineptness, an inability to even uh, communicate in an effective way. And he's gone back and forth, back and forth with various policies Look at the vaccine mandates. I mean, how many different uh, uh, ideas and opinions and guidance has been put out there? Uh, And then they're forcing people to take these vaccines. So American public has lost trust in this presidency and they want a change. They want their lives back again. And sadly, our enemies abroad have also smelled weakness. And that's why we see an emboldening of of Putin, who is uh, over 100,000 troops on the Ukrainian border. It's why we see Kim Jong-un in North Korea shooting off missiles and pounding his chest. 
That's why we see China continuing to fly over Taiwan and threaten them, that very important democracy in the Indo-Pacific. Uh, so this is very concerning. You know, Ronald Reagan said, peace through strength. That's why, as a member of the Armed Services Committee, I have been such a leader uh, with my colleagues to rebuild our military. But we cannot show weakness because when our adversaries sense that, then that emboldens them. And then we are all less secure. We're talking to Representative Vicki Hartzler. Representative Hartzler, some good news. The Marine Corps recently announced that they granted their first two religious exemptions from the COVID vaccine mandate in the Department of Defense is the, in about 30 seconds is the is the does the Supreme Court's decision have any impact on uh, soldiers who are seeking exemptions? Not directly, but I, I'm hopeful that the Marines and all of the branches of the military will grant more religious exemptions. Up until today, when the Marines issued those two, they had issued zero out of 3,212 requests. Uh, this is not right. We need more of them to stand up and protect our First Amendment uh, freedoms of our service members. Representative Vicki Hartzler, we greatly appreciate your time. There is so much to be covering right now, and you do an excellent job doing it very quickly for all of us. Thanks so much for your time today. Uh, thank you, Joseph. And she did give a great rundown of everything that seems to be challenging from international affairs to domestic policy, to what's going on at the border. Been a tough, tough year for the Biden administration as they are just about to the anniversary of one year. Next, coming up, the political space has lots of conversations about what's going on in the culture, but so does the entertainment and arts industry as well. We're going to talk to somebody who's part of that. Skillet singer John Cooper joins us right now. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. 
to get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications. Sign up at frc.org slash subscriptions. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. So glad that you are with us. You may recognize our next guest. If you attended or watched the Pray, Vote, Stand Summit last year, you may also recognize our our next guest. If you just like good music, John Cooper, he's the lead vocalist, bassist, songwriter, and producer of the band Skillet. He's also the author of Awake and Alive to Truth, Finding Truth in a Relativistic World. He and Skillet have a new album released today called Dominion. Here to talk about that and some other things as well is John Cooper. John, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, it's so cool to talk to you again. How are you, man? I'm I'm well. It's good to see you. I will have you know that I put on some black and lost the tie in your honor today. So it's good to see you. (laughs) Yeah, now, that sounds good. I want to I want to talk about uh, Dominion and in your new album today. But first, I want to let you just uh, pontificate a little bit because you're an observer of the culture and the world, like everybody else. You see it from a different perspective. There's a lot of division, loneliness, anger in the world. What's on, what's your take on what's happening? Well, you're absolutely right about that, and uh, I've always tried to write songs about those issues. I have a heart for people who are suffering, people who feel absolutely marginalized, you know, the invisible people who have always had a heart for those people in some ways because I can relate to some of the things that that they feel. So I've always wanted to write songs to those people to say, I see you, but more importantly, God sees you. You matter because God created you in his image. And when you come into that relationship with Jesus, you're going to find this fulfillment that you've been looking for. Uh, you are not invisible to him. You know, I think that what we have is a real crisis of meaning. Uh, sorry, I, I can't know if you can hear me. Crisis of meaning. And, um, you know, I think that we've not done a good job of, of teaching young people why life matters. Because let's face it, if there is no absolute truth, if there is no transcendent God, then we do we matter? You know, I mean, how do you know that you matter? What can you find to put to build your life on? And I think that that is not just happening in America, from what I've seen, because we travel the world and do concerts, that's happening all over the world. It, it is really just a complete loss of the Western 
Western civilizations, philosophies, principles of absolute truth and transcendent meaning in a, in a God that is above all things. So that's kind of what I see. And I wanted to write some songs to speak to those issues as best I could and to give people hope and because people really need it, you know, in, in a really great way right now. Tell me, broadly speaking, how do you see music and your music in particular affecting the way people think about the world? Well, music is a fantastic um, vehicle. You know, music kind of, what's the right word to say this? Music kind of softens you up to, to, hear, to hear what someone thinks about something that maybe you wouldn't normally want to listen to. Now, what we have to realize, of course, is that that can be used for bad. I mean, that can be used for really evil things or it can be used for really good things. What our young people are going through now is that they are constantly hearing, you know, this, this pop music, the, the popular music of the culture is so uh, godless. It is lawless. It celebrates actual, uh, uh, what do you call it? Just absolute sexual revolution, I guess you would say, um, and an abandonment, a liberation from Christianity a specific liberation from Jesus Christ himself. It is a celebration of sin. And a, and a lot of people say, well, I don't really listen to the lyrics, but the truth is, is these, these lyrics, they get into you. So we want to do something that is the opposite, you see, because I don't believe that music is owned by the devil. The devil doesn't create music. He does not own music. Music belongs to the creator. And so we aim to go into the culture and through music, we we bring music and art and rock music specifically for me back under the subjection uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. We bring it back under his feet where it belongs as we give glory to him. So I do think that there's a great place for music to change people's hearts because they listen to the beat, they listen to the tune and they go, I, I kind of dig that. And then they, they turn on an interview with you and they get to hear me say what the song is about. And you never, ever know how God may use that. God is, God does incredible things through interviews, these little seeds of truth. So that's what we're praying for. That's exactly right. And, and talk to us a little bit about Dominion, an interesting title, a controversial title, I assume maybe on purpose, but what's the message of this album? Some of the songs, what are you trying to accomplish? Well, Dominion, it is based on this great scripture uh, that probably a lot of listeners already know in Daniel 7 where it says it's talking about Jesus of course and it says his dominion is an everlasting dominion I wanted to write that it is controversial but I wanted to write it because we're living through a time where we feel that we have absolutely no control over our lives and even though we can't control pandemics right we can't control certain things outside of my life but we can control things inside of our hearts and inside of our minds. And of course, for those of us who, who know Jesus Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to fear. We are not slaves to death, right? So we now, the Bible says, have been set free in order to become slaves of Christ, which is just so absolutely amazing. So dominion to me is a celebration of freedom. Part of that freedom is the fact that if you know Jesus Christ, you have been you have been set free. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free in order to have some sort of dominion over my own life under the Lordship of Christ. There is, if you peel back the onion on what I mean by dominion, it also is a celebration of freedom 
in America that we live in a country that is supposed, and our founding fathers did, to recognize that there is one who is greater than the government. The government in America does not give me rights. God gives me rights. God gives me my individual freedoms, and the government is supposed to protect those from the government itself. So uh, there is a small nod, I guess you would say, to where I am saying to the government, there are places that you do not belong. You are being idolatrous when you reach into these other spheres. It is not your authority. You are not God. Uh, Jesus Christ is Lord of the earth. So I hope that people hear that message. I hope it's an inspiring record to people. I hope it rocks, and I hope it just gives them strength to get up and face the day. John Cooper, we want people to hear that. Where can they get it? Go now. You can hit it on iTunes, Spotify. Go to skillet.com if you want to hear a sample. Please do me a favor. If you like it, please tell somebody about it. we got to get the word out about the brand-new record. And we will, and we are. John Cooper, thanks so much for your time today and all you do for the gospel. Appreciate you being with us. You as well. Thank you, brother. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. From filet mignon to tortillas to shoes, shelves in America are much emptier than they have been in years past. Ordering a refrigerator or a new window for your house could take months. If you ask local grocers, that's the story of 2022. Empty shelves and frustrated customers, and a host of other problems. Many are blaming the government. There's even a Twitter hashtag. It's hashtag Bear Shelves Biden. 
There are food shortages, staff shortages, test shortages. All of this is leading to something that could be even worse, trust shortages. Joining me now to explain why so many things that used to be readily available are now missing is Liberty University School of Business Dean, Dr. Dave Bratt. Dr. Bratt, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hey, Joseph, great to be on. Thanks for having me. Well, we're glad to have you, and I hope that you can uh, clarify some things for us, because there's yeah. a lot of uh, bemusement, bewilderment, frustration. <laughs> right. Why yeah. are yeah. these grocery store and other store yeah. aisles empty? Yeah, well, it, it's a simple answer that's uh, very complex uh, to unpack, but the answer is because we no longer have a free market system. The free market system, you know, from Adam Smith way back when, is based on the price system. Modern microeconomics is called price theory. And there's two ways of allocating things in the world. One is by government fiat, uh, by uh, command, central command, like all of human history, where we all starved to death for thousands of years. And then miraculously, through the invisible hand, of course, God was involved in that. Uh, we achieved uh, the greatest riches imaginable because we allowed prices and the price system to allocate uh, bread to the shelf. Uh, so we are no longer using the price system. We're made a massive move toward the uh, toward the government uh, command system. And I, I know you want to get into inflation too, but that's the perfect example. Yeah. So now we had yesterday morning that inflation rate came out seven percent, the highest in thirty years or whatever. So that's the general price level, right? So we're talking about the price system. The general price level is up 7%. That's big, biggest in 30 or 40 years. And what was the market response? Nothing. They knew it was coming. They know we live in a quasi-socialist environment. In any other decade, when you have 7% inflation rear its head, right? And the phrase there is once, it's out, once the horse is out of the barn, it's hard to get them back in. Uh, you would have had devastating news from the markets. Uh, but you don't anymore because now the markets have, you know, tech oligarchs. Uh, the five big tech firms have market cap equal to China. I didn't say that wrong, right? Just in case people think. So we have total monopolies, no free markets, no small businesses. And that's why the bread ain't on the shelf. I want to break, I want to break some of this down because you said basically Good. we moved from a, a price allocation system to yeah. a government allocation system. Right. Now we still see pricing. Prices still change. Yep. We still yep. find ourselves paying for things. What yep. specifically has happened that you think indicates this change from a price allocation to a government yep. allocation system? Right. Well, I taught econ, you know, 101 for 20 years. What I always ask my students, you build a house, you know, I'm sitting in a house. House is a hundred thousand pieces to it. Uh, in the old days, you build a house, you build a house. Uh, see if you can name one part of your house that's not regulated uh, by the government. And of course, if you regulate it, that changes the price because it's got all sorts of new rules it's got to follow, right? So you got to have your outlets uh, six feet apart now, and you got to have a certain kind of paint in case the baby licks the paint. You don't want something bad to happen. The roof's got to have a pitch, the water heater, the furnace, the air conditioner, everything, right? Every single thing you can name right now is is run and managed. The socialists, Marx, right, wanted to take over and own the means of production. He wanted to own capital. Well, they knew they couldn't achieve that. Well, you don't have to own it if you can run it and manage it. So when I was in Congress uh, just four years ago, Obamacare uh, remained because Republican leadership wouldn't do anything about it. That's 20% of the economy in healthcare. 
we just centralized and handed over to the government to run for another example. And so the hospital CEOs told me, hey, Dave, we like you. We like the way you think. We agree with you. We like your values, everything. Uh, but we can't back you anymore because we got this Medicare formulary and the Medicaid formulary of all the drugs. And we got to have the uh, government subsidies and the, uh, the, the, the free candy coming from D.C. or we're going to go bankrupt. And they, they were telling the truth. So the government, it doesn't matter what sector you look at, it's big everything now, right? Big banks, big airlines, big automobile, big tech. Yeah. And the government loves that because they can run those, right? They can put their thumb on all those big monopolies, and they're all on the same side now. Those five big tech guys I mentioned, the oligarchs, they're all lefties. Uh, and Bratt? the Fortune 500 CEOs are all lefties right now. And, uh, you know, just go look at BlackRock and Larry Fink and all those Dr. stories. Bratt, we've got about a minute left in, the, in this sure. segment. Uh, you haven't mentioned the supply chains yet, yeah. and that's typically yeah. what we hear about why this is happening in less yeah. than a minute. How, how is that relevant? Well, so you got the price system and then the other piece, right, which isn't prices, but it's it's maintaining uh, the, the Bretton Woods liberal order we set up after World War II. The answer to that is China. And now China has all sorts of new viruses. There's all sorts of breaking news in the last week. Right, terrible stuff coming up on its way to Beijing uh, for the Olympics. And so that's got markets spooked here finally. But yeah, that's just the common sense part, right? The, 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 the COVID and the truckers and the shipping and all that. And, but the price system is the key because people don't know the, what the prices are going to be in the future, right? That's why all the, 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 the shipping went early before Christmas. So retail sales were down this month in December. Dr. Brack. Retail sales were down in December because everybody knew we we're going to have a disaster, so they shopped early to make sure stuff got under the Christmas tree. Dr. Brack, can you hold over and continue sure. this conversation after the break? Okay, there's Go so much my... more to get to. This has been Good. too short. We'll come back with Dr. Dave Brat more on why the grocery store shelves are empty when we come back here on Washington Watch. Dave. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. 
In scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students. Are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org slash internships to apply. Welcome back to Washington Watch. My name is Joseph Backholm, sitting in for Tony today. We are in the middle of a great conversation with Dr. Dave Bratt of the Liberty University Business School. He's the dean there about why the shelves are empty at the grocery store. Dr. Bratt, thanks for holding over with us. Sure, you bet, anytime. Now, you had just mentioned there COVID, and there's components to this. Now, COVID is, of course, making some people sick perhaps pulling them out of the supply chain and the jobs that they would be performing for all of us. There's also been mandates that have required people to fire people who have been in the supply chain. Do you think either COVID itself or the response to COVID is contributing in any way? Oh, absolutely. The the response has been disastrous. You know, I, I teach economics, did a PhD and it's amazing. Science, eighth grade science, which you, you need a decisive experiment. So just in its simplest terms, you've not seen that yet with respect to COVID, right? A, a group with it, a control group coming out of uh, World Health Organization or Center for C- Disease Control. And the information we've, we've gotten has just been terrible. Uh, and so, you know, that's part of the problem. It, it caused massive hysteria and fear. It looks like this next wave could be a godsend. Actually, if the, if the death tolls stay as low as they are right now, we could get herd immunity out of this thing. And that'll, that'll send major information flows, rational information flows back into the economy. And if that happens, that will greatly help uh, the supply chain issue. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the federal government, with all the, the benefits checks, really messed up the labor market. A lot of people have just checked out, so they're no longer in the labor market. The unemployment rate is very low, but you can go talk to restaurants around wherever you live, and they, they can't find any workers. So it, it's a crazy uh, set of, of just misfiring from the government. And again, it, it, it all uh, comes down to not letting the price system allocate resources, including the price of labor, et cetera. Uh, we had a government fiat would just shut down everything. Uh, it turns out that a lot of that information we were given and firms were given and mandates that were imposed, the Supreme Court just uh, saved the day. 
on uh, one of the uh, mandates yesterday. Uh, but yeah, that obviously had a huge effect. In China now, something is spreading and no one's sure what it is around the major cities. And their major cities, by the way, dwarf New York City, right? That when I say they're major cities, they have several cities uh, that they've locked down. No shipping. Uh, they've locked down the ports, any shipping to uh, Beijing uh, because they want to save the face uh, for the Olympics. And we'll see about that. We'll see whether the Olympics, uh, even uh, whether they can go forward, because it's it's looking pretty scary right now. Now, you raised an issue there that I think is merits another longer conversation. Why do we have all these restaurants and everybody's hiring and nobody has enough people? It's like the things are gone, but so are the people. It's like there was a rapture of some kind that took away all the employees. And And $15 an hour. Wage rates at 15 bucks an hour and they can't fill them. Right. Right. But. To the point of uh, inflation is also part of this conversation. Do you think that the supply chain issues leading to a shortage of goods is an explanation for why we're seeing inflation? Because now we have more dollars being pumped into the economy, but they're chasing fewer goods because there's just nothing on the shelf. Uh, I have people yell at me for giving this answer, but the answer is no. You can have something spike prices up over here. Uh, but if you're linked to the gold standard or solid cash, other prices have to go down over here. So you, you right. can't get there's only one thing that causes inflation. Uncle Milton Friedman, the greatest economist of the last century, University of Chicago, Nobel Prize winner. Uh, it's too much money when you print too much money. You have too much money chasing too few goods. Uh, money is always uh, inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. So if in, back in 08, if you want to go look it up, the Fed printed too much money in 04, 05, and you had the uh, financial crisis and the housing bubble. Right now, they're printing way too much money. We're going to have massive inflation this time. And now it's called the everything bubble, right? It's not just the housing bubble. It's the entire stock market is inflated, and it's going to pop. But, and everybody knows it. There's not an analyst uh, on the market that doesn't know that's going to happen. Uh, but everybody's betting, right? It's like a casino. Everyone's just placing their bets on when it happens, but it will happen. Final question for you, Dr. Bratt, Liberty University uh, School sure. of Business. You are a White House advisor. You yep. need to help solve this problem. What do you tell them? I tell them, uh, follow the monetary rule, first of all. Uh, if, if your economy's growing at 2%, you print 2% more money. That's Uncle Milton and John Taylor now out at Stanford. Uh, and you tell them uh, you got to reduce the size of the federal government. Uh, the, the politics of this thing, the left is talking about fascism. If you don't like fascism, uh, let's not have a big state to hand a fascist, right? If you have 50 independent experiments like the founders intended, uh, and you stick to the Judeo-Christian uh, religious principles and free markets and constitutional government, we will take off and you'll see growth like you've never seen uh, before because we do live in an advanced uh, technological world. Uh, that uh, growth can be exponential for a long time if we set the proper foundations, as uh, everyone listening here knows. Dr. Dave Bratt, Dean of the Liberty University School of Business, thanks so much for your time today. Hey, God bless you, Joseph. Great. And that is, we, we could talk about that all day, but we're not going to, but we are going to get to another really fascinating conversation because it's that time of week for our weekly worldview conversation with FRC's director for the Center for Biblical Worldview, David Clausen. We're going to unpack a question with him in just a moment. There's actually a blog article that I wrote that you can find that's up on frcblog.com. 
It's titled, Is Diversity, Racial Diversity Specifically, a Biblical Goal? This is the question that we are going to discuss. It was inspired by a conversation I was having with my wife. She's an administrator at a classical school, and they were having this conversation, as many people are, and we are now going to discuss that with David Clausen. David, good to see you, my friend. Hey, great to see you. Uh, greetings from Springfield, Missouri, Joseph. Just wrapped up a pastor's event here, and uh, great to be on the show again with you. Well, thank you for all you're doing out there, rallying the troops and, and getting them on board and helping them understand that what we're dealing with. And I think this group of pastors that you were dealing with helps us understand. It's kind of a, a great example of where this conversation about racial diversity is taking place. Because I was talking about um, my wife who works in a Christian school. They're having this conversation about racial diversity. Churches are having these conversations about racial diversity. Lots of ministries are. Is this something that the church should have as an objective goal? And David, I want to start this conversation off by asking you, what does the Bible say about racial diversity? Yeah, that's a great question, Joseph. And I, I think that uh, when you go to Scripture, uh, the first place that us as believers need to go to is Genesis 126, where it says that all of us are made in God's image. Uh, the Bible is absolutely clear. Um, you go to the New Testament in James chapter 2. Uh, it talks about the sin of partiality, that we should never show favoritism uh, because of secondary characteristics like income, class, race, things like that. Uh, but the, the question that you pose in the blog, Joseph, is you ask the question, is diversity a biblical goal? And then as you read the piece, and anyone can find this piece at frc.org slash worldview, you ask the question, should congregations be making a concerted effort to be racially diverse? And my, my answer to that question, Joseph, is, is that it depends. Uh, I think it absolutely depends. I think there are many contexts and many situations where a congregation should absolutely be racially diverse if it comes, if that congregation is in a community that is racially diverse. But I'm not going to heap guilt on a pastor who pastors in rural Kentucky in a county that's 99% white and tell him that his congregation absolutely has to be racially diverse when there's no racial diversity in his community. So I think it depends. And I, I think that that is something that might strike people as a, maybe an odd answer, uh, but it's a question that we just need to dig a little bit deeper and define our terms. Well, you'd make a fine lawyer, David, because that's the question. That's the answer to every legal question is it depends or maybe. But, you know, I think when we have this conversation about racial diversity, what we're generally thinking of is, White churches in America that are surrounded by people who ne aren't necessarily white, why is this just a white church? But there are other situations. You go to many large cities and you will find a congregation of Koreans or Ethiopians or the Latino community. They will have a Hispanic church. Is it, are those problematic in the same way that people might look at an all-white church and say, well, you should be more diverse? Yeah, that's a good question. And in some situations, Joseph, I, I don't think it's necessarily wrong. I, I don't think it's nefarious. I don't think it's evil. Uh, I, I don't think that at all. No, I, I do think that all of us need to guard our hearts. Uh, again, James 2 talks about the sin of partiality, and only we're the only ones that know our hearts. And if in a Korean church or a uh, you know a Japanese church or in a white church, 
we're only admitting people that look like us into our membership and we're, there's a conscious effort underfoot to do that, then I think there probably is some soul searching that needs to take place. But in some context, I, I don't think that that would be uh, wrong or problematic. Now, the argument, one of the arguments I make in the blog and I want to work through with you is part of the reason I think this is a difficult conversation, but also an important one is because I think people have come to believe that racial diversity within a particular community is a sign of love. And I think they think that. And I, and I think there's merit to that argument because racism is, of course, evil and wicked. And we would look at a community that is racially diverse and say, there's not racism there. That would be our own assumption. And therefore, there is love there. Therefore, when we have racial diversity within a community, that's an indication of love. But the argument that I make, and I want to discuss with you a bit, is the, the possibility that racial diversity can be a sign of love. It can be a sign of something good, but it is not necessarily something good in and of itself. And so if you put the cart before the horse and we conflate uh, racial diversity at, and love, and we basically say racial diversity is a form of love, we can pursue racial diversity as an ends unto itself when, as I would argue and have now publicly argued, that racial diversity is actually the fruit of love. It is the effect of a community that loves itself and not itself something that is virtuous. What do you, th- what do you say to that? I agree with that, Joseph. I think I just want to underscore what you said. I think because in conversations, uh, especially in uh, conversations about wokeness and CRT, there's, there's a movement to say that the pursuit of racial diversity for the sake of racial diversity is somehow morally praiseworthy or morally good. And I would argue that racial diversity in and of itself is probably morally neutral. This, this reminds me of a conversation you and I had months ago about unity. People always say that unity is a good thing. Well, if you and I are unified and go commit a crime, it doesn't matter that we were unified. That was bad. Unity is morally neutral. I think racial diversity in and of itself is morally neutral. Uh, but I will say that as uh, Christians who are commanded to love God, and love others as we are doing that, as we're following the, the great commandment, uh, loving those, we're going to love those who don't look like us, don't sound like us, come from different backgrounds. So I do believe, and I think my own church in D.C. is a good example of this, we're, we're, we're getting, becoming more racially diverse. And I think that that's an outworking of the gospel unity that we find, not necessarily because we're pursuing diversity simply for the sake of diversity. Yeah. What I think is undeniable is the fact that racial diversity is practically useful simply because when you're around people with different perspectives and different experiences, it makes you collectively wiser as a community. You understand things that you wouldn't understand if you were if you were surrounded by people who are essentially just like you. Now, it's, of course, difficult to find any community where everyone is essentially just like you. And I would argue maybe that doesn't exist. But in, a, in an ethnic sense, there are certainly different cultures and backgrounds and experiences that when you bring those things together, you're stronger as a community. So I think we can imagine uh, why we would see this as, as a valuable thing. But to your point about how it may be problematic to make it a, an end unto itself, what do you think are the risks if we as the church decide that the goal is not love, which leads to racial diversity, but racial diversity as an end unto itself? You make the point in the blog pretty well, Joseph, is I think those churches 
if you're just focused on diversity for the sake of diversity, it almost becomes kind of a selfish thing. And we pat ourselves on the back because we're racially diverse or we're diverse with, you know, a bunch of folks from different socioeconomic backgrounds. So, again, I just think it's so important as Christians, the thing that has keeps us united, the thing that holds us together is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we can be reconciled to a holy God. That's what that's the glue that holds us together. And as we get better at loving God and loving his people, I think we will have diversity reflected in our congregations uh, and in our meetings. Uh, but again, it's important to start with the gospel. Uh, that's the focus. And then uh, let the racial reconciliation, uh, let the unity, all that, that will, Lord willing, be a good fruit that we reap because we're focused on loving God and loving neighbor. And I would add to that, that if we make racial diversity a goal, it inevitably, though probably self-consciously, causes us to value people differently within our community, prospectively, because of their ability or their inability to bring racial diversity to our community. And if that's something we really want, well, you don't have that to offer to me. Therefore, I'm less interested in you than I am in somebody who could offer racial diversity to us. And of course, I think it's self-evident why that's a problematic way for Christians to treat other people. David, in about 30 seconds, what would you say to the pastor who may have been felt who may have felt guilty because most of his church looks looks the same. I would just tell that brother to be faithful. Uh, be faithful in preaching the gospel, discipling the folks in your congregation, to see all people made in God's image, see people the way God sees them, and uh, give the results to him. Let's trust the Lord and be faithful with what he's called us to do. David Clawson, thanks so much for your time. As always, great to be with you. Thank you, Joseph. That's our program for today, folks. So glad that you are with us. Remember, in all you do, fear God and nothing else. We'll see you next time on Washington Watch. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 